I'm Joan Hogan welcoming you to the Prairie Doc Radio Program. Rick Holm, as I said, is out of town, unable to be with us, so I'm really happy to welcome Jill Cruz. Jill is a family medicine physician with the Avera Medical Group Brookings. Good to have you here, Jill. Yes, thanks for having me on the show again. Well, I'm really glad to have you here, and also with us in the studio is Laura Ellsworth. Laura is working with Dr. Holmes Healing Words Foundation, and also Laura has graciously agreed to host this program next week with Dr. Deb Johnston, because not only will Dr. Holmes be gone, Joan will be gone next week. It's January. You know we all go somewhere, but I'm very pleased that Jill is here this week to talk medicine. Laura is here this week, and she's going to be hosting next week. Yes, thanks for having me. Well, it's just good to have both of you here. Dr. Cruz, I often start the program with Dr. Holm by saying, is there anything medical on your mind or anything you think we should be talking about? You know, it's flu season, anything that you think is apropos for right now? Well, definitely we're in the uh, second week of January, so I just want to ask how people's New Year's resolutions are going. Have they stopped smoking? Are they still going to the gym? Uh, Where are they at in their uh, new goals, and what steps have they taken to move forward? Well, that sounds like a good topic, and basically uh, we will give people a chance to respond to that. We're going to take our first break, and after this break, if you want to give us a call, you can do so. 692-1430. Erin uh, is down there ready to answer your questions or to write out. She won't answer them. She'll write out your questions, send them back up here. And uh, Dr. Cruz would be really happy to respond to her thoughts on your New Year's resolution or any other medical problems you may want to discuss today. We'll get to those right after these words. Hi, welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. Joan Hogan here, and as I mentioned at the outset of the program, Dr. Holm is enjoying the month of January. He's having a great time. I know many of you are well aware of the medical condition that he's been, the medical questions and problems he's been facing the past year, but right now he's celebrating his good health, and he and Joni are having a great time. Fortunately, they have a couple of kids watching the house, so they're at home taking care of the home, but Joni and Rick are off having fun. In his absence, we're so pleased to have Dr. Jill Cruz with us, and Dr. Cruz works with Dr. Holm. She's a family medicine physician, and Dr. Cruz mentioned talking about um, New Year's resolutions and what may have been on your mind this this year to decide you were going to resolve to do. It's two weeks in. Did you fail or did you keep going? We had one person who called in and wanted to talk about Dr. Holmes' concept of importance of walking, which would be part of a New Year's resolution. And this person said, since Holmes isn't here, he often talks about the importance of walking for our overall health. Does it really lower our blood pressure, lower our risk of heart disease or diabetes? How does it work? Is he right? Is it really true? It's up to you, Jill, to back up Dr. Holmes. What do you think? Uh, Dr. Holm is a very wise man. Uh, Walking has so many benefits. Uh, When you're talking about lowering risk for heart disease, blood pressure, it's all about managing weight. It's about managing your health. Joints are move it or lose it. Uh, If you sit long, things kind of rust up and get tight. The more you move with exercise, the better. And actually walking is good because it's a weight-bearing exercise. So when you're literally pounding the pavement, all of that stress on the bones strengthens them. So bones get stronger by making them work harder. So walking actually strengthens bones. It helps reduce the risk of osteoporosis, reduce the risk of breaking bones when you fall. 
and it's a wonderful thing. And there's actually been research of just walking outside, being out in nature, being helpful. They talk about now the importance of what we call forest bathing. Instead of sunbathing, you forest bathe. So Seriously, I've not heard that term, yep, forest bathing. Forest bathing, new term that's come out in the last few years, talking about the importance of walking through nature and just being out around trees and grass and the sky and, you know, mosquitoes in South Dakota. <laughs> not too many mosquitoes now, so, you know, while, Good time. while yeah. we have this brief respite in the weather, get out there and breathe some fresh air. It's really good for your mental health and physical health. You know, just south of town, we have our nature, is it nature preserve? Is nature that Park, yes. Nature Park. Is that a lovely place? Oh. If you haven't been out there, you can actually drive. There is a a welcoming building there, and you can drive up to the entrance of that and park there and just walk through nature. It mm-hmm. is really lovely. Yes, beautiful, nice trails. Uh, They're safe trails safe. to walk to, too. Mm-hmm. You don't have to worry about stumbling or falling if you're nope. in a forest. <laughs> you <laughs> might be a little worried about it, but, but there uh, there is treed area, and, of course, mm-hmm. there's a couple of ponds there. Yes. I haven't been out there in the winter. You've got me thinking, maybe yeah. this afternoon. Yeah. Tomorrow's not going to be the day, is it? It's supposed to. Uh, the weather's supposed to really turn on us late tonight. So yeah. today might be the last day to check out a nature park, and it's just south of town. Great idea. You know, you mentioned how helpful walking can be for your bones, but he's also mentioned blood pressure. How does walking help blood pressure? I don't get that. So walking is part of exercise and just getting the heart rate up, moving and losing weight, all of those things help lower your blood pressure. So um, blood pressure is all related to many different things, uh, but one of it is how well your um, blood vessels can relax and expand. And all of that is kind of changing the diameter of the blood vessels. So with good exercise, you can really help uh, stretch those muscles, so to speak, of the blood vessels and and help. So uh, that's how it helps. Yep, the so blood. wider tubes have less pressure in them. So ah. think about it. Bigger hose, big fire hose can handle more pressure than a tiny one. So if you can get things to kind of stretch and expand with... Mm-hmm. That never made sense to me. Now it kind of does. I guess I never asked why. It didn't make sense that just because you're exercising, your blood pressure would change. But Mm -hmm. it it really will help. Okay. Well, that sounds like uh, I answered that question. This person needs to know Dr. Holm was right, and walking really will help you, and Dr. Cruz thoroughly agrees with that. (laughs) Dr. Holm is rarely wrong. (laughs) (laughs) He's got it. Okay. We had a call from someone concerned about heartburn. This person sometimes has heartburn found that Prevacid really helps reduce the symptoms, and Prevacid is an over-the-counter, I'm not sure what it, uh, for heartburn. Yes. And uh, now this person has read that it may increase her chance of stroke. Do you know anything about that? Long-term use of these medications, we initially thought that they were incredibly safe, incredibly benign, had people on them from years on end, and then never took them off. And then we're finding that there are certain risks, uh, increased risk of stroke. There have been some correlation with dementia. So you do have to be careful with these. Uh, Just because it's over-the-counter doesn't mean it's completely harmless. There's a reason on the back it says if you're taking this more than two weeks, contact your doctor. So there are other options besides uh, the proton pump inhibitors. And again, we go back to lifestyle modification. So watching what you eat, uh, cutting back on caffeine, cutting back on spicy food or really acidic foods, elevating the head of the bed, not eating within an hour or two before going to bed and laying down. So there's a lot of things that we can do besides medications to help. And 
you know, they're meant to be used for a short period of time, but not indefinitely. So try it. If it works, great. Then work on those lifestyle modifications in that trial period and then go off of it and see if you can, be all right. you can be okay without it. So yeah, a lot of times that's unfortunately, it's easy to start a medication and then forget about it and just keep taking just keep it out taking of habit. It. And you may be creating a problem. Yeah, and you may so, not need it anymore. So basically, there isn't another medication you would suggest other than Prevacid. What you would suggest is trying a lifestyle change. I would think uh, Dr. Holm would also agree with me. Lifestyle okay. change is always the best way to start. <laughs> there are other medications, um, the H2 blockers, so the, the Zantac, the um, ranitidine, those all kind of help lower stomach acids in a different mechanism than the proton pump inhibitors. So the omeprazole, the Prilosec, the Prevacid, the Nexium, um, those are all the proton pump inhibitors. Those are the ones that we're finding aren't quite as um, harmless as we thought. They are helpful in the right setting and over the right period of time, but you do have to be mindful that being on something long-term even if it's over-the-counter, you can have some unintended consequences. One thing I discovered in my, in my own case, if I did have heartburn and I was taking some of those Prevacid, whatever, I found I didn't want to stay in a medicine. And um, it occurred to me that maybe probiotics would make a difference. And I started taking probiotics. I'm hoping that they're harmless, but I started taking them about a year ago. I don't think I've had a heartburn since. Good. I just take one probiotic. What do you think of the use of probiotics? Have I overdone that by taking one a day? Probiotics, so it's, those are replenishing the natural bacteria that are supposed to be in our intestines. And there's a lot of research going on right now about this, what we call the microbiome, or this whole um, set of bacteria that live in our gut and finding out that it affects so much of our self, including our mood, our health, our weight. I mean, it it encourages our body to work the way it's meant to be. And unfortunately, we've messed up our microbiomes a lot by foods that we eat um, and antibiotics that we take. So overuse of antibiotics can really mess up your microbiome by killing the good bacteria as well as the bad and messing up the balance because it's a very delicate ecosystem. So those probiotics help replenish the good bacteria that were supposed to be there in the first place that either by diet or antibiotics or other things that we've done, we can sometimes inadvertently mess up. Okay. So good thing. So I'm okay with You're the probiotics. Okay. I, I can't <laughs> believe the difference it's been. It's mm -hmm. just amazing to me. Well, that's me. But we did answer the question for the person with heartburn, and we are due to take a break. Dr. Jill Cruz is here with me in the studio, ready to answer any other questions you might have of a medical nature. We've talked about at the outset of the program, if you have any questions or comments about your New Year's resolutions, how about calling about those? We'll be back right after these words. Hi, welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. Dr. Jill Cruz is here in the studio with me, and we're ready to discuss anything that might make you healthier in the new year. If you made a resolution two weeks ago and didn't quite hang in, maybe we can get you back on it. Uh, Jill mentioned in uh, the break the 10,000 steps, and I've heard a lot about that, and if people got those Fitbits and they're all thinking if they do 10,000 steps a day, what do you think of that program? 10,000 steps is a wonderful, it, one, it gives you a concrete goal of knowing what you're shooting for. And 
it's something that you can kind of work your way up to very easily, but you know, don't go from doing nothing a day to doing 10,000 steps a day, or you will end up with terrible shin splints. Uh, I, I can tell you that from personal <laughs> experience. <laughs> don't overdo to begin with. You yes, gradually make gradually. your way there. So okay. that's your end goal, but make shorter goals on the way of that. So I tell people, if you got a new uh, fitness tracker over Christmas, wear it for a couple of days and kind of see what your baseline is, and then try to move that by a thousand steps for this week and then slowly work your way up to 10,000 steps. If you jump straight to 10,000, you're going to be one sore puppy. Okay, (laughs) not a good idea. How did they ever come up with the concept of 10,000 steps? Where they came up with that is they did a study out in Pennsylvania with some Amish farmers. So they put pedometers on all of them and they tracked how many steps they were taking a day because I've never seen a fat Amish farmer. (laughs) (laughs) What a great idea. Well, they found out that 10,000 steps was the average number of steps they took on Sunday, their day of rest. Oh my. So other days they other took days a lot more. Other days they were doing stuff. a lot more. So they're like, well, let's cut it back to something reasonable for the rest of us <laughs> and do try to get to their day of rest mm-hmm. level. What a great idea, though, mm-hmm. to come up with Amish farmers. As you say, do you see any overweight Amish farmers? You don't. They walk a lot, but their day of rest was 10,000 10, steps. So oh if my. that's good enough for a day of rest, that yeah. should be our minimum. And actually, if somebody gets one of those Fitbits or whatever the program is, and I think a lot of cell phones have them right Mm -hmm. on your cell phone now, too. So you don't even have to go out and buy. If you have a cell phone, it's probably right on your cell. There's so much on our phones that we don't know is there. (laughs) It is amazing what these computers and phones hold now. But if you start and you find you're going about 4,000 steps, (laughs) that's fine. Start there. Don't even think of going to 10,000 the next day. No. Just take Take it easy. Find out how far you can go and increase it each week, right? Yes, because I will tell you, I was a medical student, and I was doing uh, sports medicine at Iowa State and working with their team doctor. And during football practice, we walked around the football field. And so I went from probably not many steps a day being a student sitting in the library to walking over 10,000, probably closer to 15 to 20 a day. And boy, were my legs sore. (laughs) You really paid for it. It was too much at one time. It was too much at one time. So work your way up slowly. Um, But definitely that was a program and he was literally on the billboard for it and talked about his significant weight loss, um, their team coach, so, or their team physician made significant weight loss changes just from increasing his walking. Okay, because weight loss and uh, changing your eating habits are really important things that you hear about that people make New Year's resolutions for. Mm-hmm. Quitting smoking is another one that's a really a bugaboo, and I do know that a lot of people have turned their lives around by quitting smoking, but there are still a lot of smokers out there. Mm-hmm. Do you have any advice for them? Even if they tried in two weeks, uh, I can't do it anymore. Well, I tell people even if you did one less cigarette a day, that's 365 less cigarettes a year. That's a lot, that's many, many packs. So even a small change will make a difference. Uh, The other thing I always tell people is make it difficult. Uh, If, don't put your lighter next to your cigarettes, make it so you have to actually get up, you know, climb onto a chair and get something out of a cabinet, an upper cabinet, make it harder to do it. If you smoke in your car, take the cigarette lighter out of your car. Make it so it's hard. Make it Great idea. <laughs> it's it it always if you smoke, you make it very convenient for mm-hmm. yourself. You always have both on hand, but if yep. you if you want to quit, that's yep. To add the inconvenience is yep. a great idea. The other thing I've often told people is um, change brands. 
Change brands of cigarettes. Oh. So if you're a diehard Marlboro s- smoker, so change to Pall Mall. Change to something else. That you don't like as well. That you don't like as well. Because uh-huh. if someone told me all I could drink was 7-Up and I couldn't have my Coke, <laughs> but that, but I'm, I'm not denying myself pop. I'm still having pop, but it's, I can only drink 7-Up. I would drink a lot less. <laughs> wow, that's a great so idea. It's just a matter. I've had people quit just doing it that way because they say, you know, I'm still smoking, so I'm not denying myself that but I'm just not getting the enjoyment out of it that I used to. Oh, I wish I had talked to you when I was trying to quit 20 or 30 years ago. <laughs> I went through holy hell quitting, and my kids still remember the cigarettes in the freezer. I had convinced myself you're a non-smoker who enjoys one or two a day. So the only way to keep them fresh was in the freezer. So they'd say, you know, you go for ice cream and there's mom's cigarettes. But <laughs> eventually I did quit. But it was a very slow process, and I played games like, you're suggesting, yep. Pete. It's a mind thing. Mm-hmm. It really, it's a mind and a terrible craving, but it's mind over matter, and it takes a while to get there. Mm-hmm. Your advice would have helped me. I think I would have quit a lot sooner. I hope that's helpful to anyone who's listening and might be smoking right now. This is really good advice. Move that lighter. Get it away from you. Okay, we're due to take our final break. We'll be back right after these words. I'm live. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. Joan Hogan here, and I have Dr. Jill Cruz in the studio with me. And Dr. Cruz, has just been a wealth of information. It's been fun talking with you. I've really enjoyed it. We had a caller who had a question that had nothing to do with getting better this year or being more healthy, but it's an interesting one. I had not thought of this, and I don't know the answer either. This caller said she doesn't know the, the, the differences in medical scans. When would you suggest a PET scan or an MRI or a CT? She knows that there's differences and doctors throw these out and you're, you know, her friend goes for a PET scan. What's the PET scan for? What do they tell and why do they use different tests? So the different types of scans allow you to see different things. Um, X-rays are just a two-dimensional picture that looks for density. So basically it looks for bony things. So if you're looking for something bony, an X-ray is an excellent place to start. And actually where most insurance companies insist that we start, they won't let us do a more expensive test until we've started with an X-ray for most things relating with joints, knees, hips, backs, shoulders. So, so the x-ray may just take x-ray, care of it. It yeah. may show you what's going on. That's usually a very good starting point and can be done clinic and the results are And it's are less expensive too, right? A lot less expensive. Yeah. So that's going to be your cheapest imaging test. Uh, the next cheapest going up from there <laughs> is ultrasound. And ultrasound uses uh, sound waves, so you need something that has fluid. So that's usually better at looking at internal organs, things that have high water content, obviously looking at babies because they're floating in water, literally. Um, And then looking at things to see if they're solid masses or soft masses. Is it a fluid-filled cyst? Is it a solid tumor? An ultrasound would be able to tell us something like that. We use ultrasounds to look at kidneys, gallbladders, appendix, um, ovaries. So we use that looking mainly at organs. CT scans are using um, radiation to look at a three-dimensional model now. And you can basically scan almost anything (laughs) with a CT. But most common is um, brain, so looking for like masses, tumors, bleeding on the brain, head injuries, sinus infections. And what does CT stand for? So what is it? Computer-aided tomography. Okay, so it is looking at um, 
how do you explain it that it'd be different from a it can see a lot it's uh basically it's a three-dimensional three-dimensional a three-dimension that's a good description kind of the three-dimensional x-ray that can okay. see soft tissue and bony structures so a cat scan is kind of that step up from the x-ray so you can see where things are in space okay um the next one is an MRI, so that's magnetic resonance imagery. And that one there's no radiation with. And it's the where you go into the tube, it makes loud clicking noises. Right. If you're claustrophobic, if you're claustrophobic it kind of bothers you. Like it. Yeah, yes. right. Although there are open MRIs down in Sioux Falls where you don't. It's you're not enclosed. Least, no. Okay. So there are options for those who are claustrophobic. Now, these are really good at looking at ligaments. So we use them a lot when we're looking at back issues and looking at knees to see if there's um, breaks in tendons, ligaments, also looking at nerves. So what's coming out of the spinal cord. So an x-ray, I can see where your vertebrae are, but I can't see the spinal cord or the discs. An MRI will show me a beautiful view of the nerves and the discs in between those vertebrae. So it's, again, um, looking more soft tissue or things that have a lot of water content to them, like nerves or discs. So PET scans are used mainly for tracking with cancers. And with a PET scan, they give you an injection of sugar, and there's nothing a cancer cell loves more than sugar. So what it does is they give you this injection of a traced sugar molecule and then after a period of time they will scan you again and they look and see where that sugar is concentrated and it'll be near the cancer and it'll be near the cancer because oh. the cancer sucks up sugar like candy because it it's so rapidly replicating it needs lots of energy to keep doing that so when we look at that we look at places where we're expecting there to be lots of sugar uptake so the PET scan kind of helps us pinpoint if there's something abnormal cancer-wise. So they're used more for monitoring uh, new cancers uh, and following people who have had cancer to make sure there's not a reoccurrence. Okay. Because sometimes you hear, oh, I got this scan or that scan, and you think, are they just throwing them in there for the fun of it? <laughs> we know better, but sometimes you wonder about these different tests. So mm -hmm. they all are really helpful in many ways, but to start with a PET scan or a CT would just be a terrible waste of money because you might yep. find what you need to know mm -hmm. with a simple x-ray. Exactly. Right? So, and if you have a question or you wonder, ask. Ask your doctor. We like answering questions. Um, having someone come in and demand, I need an MRI. Well, why, why do you think that? <laughs> so I would rather sit down and explain to you this is what steps we're going to take and why. Um, rather than feeling like we have to fight. I don't want to fight with you. I want to explain why I'm choosing what I'm choosing. And if you have questions, I would love to let you know, rather than having that boxing match with someone that right. insists that because they read something on the internet or they talked to a friend whose case may be completely different. We doctors follow guidelines, but we also try to individualize to each patient. And what your friend have may be completely different than what you have. And even the same disease in different stages may have different things that are appropriate. So you and your doctor have to be a team and we individualize your care to you, not to your friend. I'm not taking care of your friends or what <laughs> they had. I'm taking care of you. So if what I'm doing doesn't seem like it makes sense to you, ask. I went to a lot of med school. I, <laughs> I love explaining the stuff I know, but I don't want to fight. So right. if we can sit down like adults and I can explain and answer your questions, I would love to do that. 
Sounds like great, great help. You know, when you were talking about what your friend has is not necessarily the same thing you have, about 20 years ago, it was a problem, and I knew about it because my mother was living in uh, an assisted living area, and um, I talked to her once. She said, oh, my friend has this best best med, and I'm using her med. I said, did your doctor tell you, Mom? Oh, no, but it works for her. And I had heard, I asked Dr. Holm about this 20 years ago, and he said it's one of the biggest problems in nursing homes now. People are sharing medications. Have they gotten past that, or is that still happening, do you think? Oh, I think there may be. May still be time. What do you have to say about that? Yep. You know, if it worked for me, it's got to work for you, that type of mentality. Uh, th- there is a lot of that going around. Um, I would say at nursing homes where nurses are actually administering the medications and handing out, it, it's not happening. But definitely coffee groups like to discuss their medications. And, right. And sometimes medications are fairly interchangeable. And if you say, you know what? let me know about this one or you know I think this one would be cheaper for me I have had people where they've asked for something and I said you know what that's that's reasonable that we can change and then they call back and they had sticker shock at the pharmacy <laughs> so uh, sometimes the latest greatest commercials are incredibly are expensive right um, but you don't advise sharing your meds do I don't you? advise sharing no. medications no. individual plans for individual people that's that's what we do okay. we treat patients one-on-one in the clinic and we do what's right for you. If you have questions, ask. Okay. Well, we're running a little short on time. We did have one more caller with a question. I think we're going to have time to respond to this. Might be a major question, though. I don't know. What causes people to to develop COPD? Is it treatable and or curable? Oh, and we're out of time. (laughs) And we're out of time. Okay. That's that's a very long question. Um, Mm -hmm. Lots of things can develop with COPD. Smoking's the biggest risk factor of it. There also is a genetic factor called alpha anti-1 trypsinase deficiency that can put you at higher risk for developing COPD. Uh, It's not as common as smoking as a cause, but it is a known factor that can worsen COPD and put you at higher risk for this. So uh, it's not something I can answer in two minutes. But but maybe you can say, is it curable or is it treatable or not? It's manageable. Manage, ah, there's the word, manageable. It's manageable. So you're not going to cure it once you have COPD. You, in what, COPD is common, I can't think. Chronic obstructive pulmonary disorder. So it really is shortness of breath and mm -hmm. what are some of the symptoms of it? It, the name's right in it. It's chronic. So it's, it's chronic. not something that's going to go away. Um, obstructive meaning it's the lungs aren't letting you exhale as easily as you should be able to. So people do a lot of what we call pursed lip breathing. And so they're breathing against their lips kind of tight together. So they're trying to increase the force on the inside. to kind of, We call it auto-peep. So they're trying to keep the pressure right to breathe out easily. So there's a lot going on with with that, lots of nuances and different variants, yeah. but that's... So the best the answer is it is chronic. manageable, it's chronic, you're not going to cure it, but you can have help with manage, managed care. Yes. Well, I think the managed care of Dr. Cruz is going to be phenomenal for anyone who happens to be her patient. We hope all of you have enjoyed our Prairie Doc radio program. As always, you can hear more from Dr. Home online at prairiedoc.org where you may also learn more about the exciting activities of the Healing Words Foundation. Thank you so much, Dr. Cruz, for joining me today. 
it's been great and i'm looking forward to uh hearing the program next week which i will be missing and uh we appreciate laura coming in today and she'll be with you next week that's all for this week and i'll close with dr holmes weekly reminder stay healthy out there people Thank you.